Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 21 91. So this is your sporting life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. A great pleasure, as always, to have you with us for another edition of This Is Your Sporting Life. And today we celebrate the sporting life of a gentleman who is one of the most familiar faces and voices and has been on Australian television and Australian sport for many years. He is an icon of the industry that uh, I'm lucky enough to work in and it's a great pleasure to have Ken Callender with me as my guest. Kenny, welcome. Thank you, Peter. It's nice to be in your town, your town of Sydney. Um, Gee, you've even got Melbourne weather happening today. Yeah, we're at the moment we're on the other side of the bridge, North Sydney. This is is the side where all the money is. I live on the other side. Ah, right. Now, that's one thing that I want to touch on right throughout (laughs) our conversation and that is the fact that you are very much associated with the common man and you always have been yeah well uh i grew up in an average suburban household little fibro place and uh i I think that i always remembered my roots and uh i always felt when whether i was writing in the paper or on the radio or the television that i represented the people of uh uh bankstown and uh, uh marylands and Parramatta just as much as I represented the big money towns. It's a bit like uh, Broad Meadows in Melbourne. Yeah, and they're the sort of people that you hang out with, you, that well, you have a beer with. They're the biggest punters. I actually yeah. live at Randwick now, which is getting to be a bit upper class, <laughs> but uh, I still uh, go down the pub with good, solid Aussies. Has it got you into trouble with the top end of town over the years? I don't think so, no. Uh, I, uh, without patting myself on the back, I think I, I've got uh, the manners and the confidence to mix with anyone. And uh, I find whether you're at the top end of town or uh, in Struggle Street, there's plenty of good people and there might just be the odd uh, one or two that aren't so good. Now, any time that I've been to the races up here, I've always seen you there. I see you so often in Melbourne yeah. as well. Are you still going to the races every week? Well, I used to go to the races three and four times a week for uh, probably 40 years, but uh, I, I go over Saturday now. I don't go midweek uh, I play golf of a Wednesday morning and I'm usually too tired to back up at the races in the afternoon. Uh, that's just with mates I've had for years. Uh, I'll go to the odd meeting, but pretty well now I'm a Saturday race car. I still love it. I still go home and watch the uh, the races on television if uh, if they're on anywhere. I, I turn uh, uh, Sky or uh, Racing.com on and watch Sydney and Melbourne races. When you go, Kenny, does that work ethic still uh, occur in your mind? Is it still there? Because I find if I go to the races socially, there's still that little bit of work that goes on in my head about it. Uh, I don't know about work, but uh, I can honestly say from the very, very first time I went to the races, I was hooked. Uh, I love going. It's what I like doing. I love the excitement of the track, whether it's the the racing, the bookmakers, uh, having a bet or just talking to people and watching the horses. Uh, I will say now uh, that the odd thing will happen and I'll say, geez, I wish I was writing a column this week. Mm. Yeah, something like that, definitely, yeah. You never lose that. And uh, uh, I, I was one of the fortunate few uh, whose hobby become their job and I enjoyed uh, 
I enjoyed work. It was never work to me as such. And uh, I always loved going to Melbourne because uh, uh, this might get me sacked in Sydney, but I always found particularly the people I, I mixed with in Melbourne were just so, they loved to drink, a bet, and enjoying sport. And uh, just a small anecdote, I remember when I first went to Melbourne, I'd gone broke. I was probably uh, 19 or 20, and we'd done our money on the Saturday, and uh, a newfound friend from Melbourne said, you're coming to the football tomorrow. I said it was on today. I knew Collingwood had played Carlton or whatever that day. Mm. He said, no, 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 they're the, they're the sissies. He said, the Fair Dinkum Football, the association is on tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> and I went to see Port Melbourne play. Oh, yeah. And I reckon I saw 15 fights yeah. and only about five was on the field. <laughs> <laughs> was that at the old Port ground? Yes, it, it was. I yeah. spent many a day yeah. there. And I can still field. remember Cerise and Blue, I think, were there coming. Yes, yeah. yeah. I, yeah. I grew up, when I was watching footy as a kid in Melbourne, I grew up watching Collingwood on the Saturday and yeah. Port on the Sunday. Yeah. And that was the religion that you did. Yeah, exactly. And uh, uh, this particular day at that ground, and as you know, the facilities were just old-style grandstand or whatever. You bought a beer out of uh, in a can out of uh, the, some sort of tank. But uh, everyone had a good time, and it was packed. Yeah. Mm. I don't know whether you have one of the famous... Uh, the most famous piece of cuisine at that Port Melbourne ground, Kenny, <laughs> is the Borough Burger. Uh, they reckon they make hamburgers like nobody else on the planet. And I can vouch for the fact that I've had a couple over the journey, and they're not bad. After a losing Saturday, Pete, I probably couldn't afford them. <laughs> um, you talked about racing and the egalitarian nature of racing. Is it the most egalitarian of sports? Because you're just as likely to be rubbing shoulders with the local garbologist as you are with the Prime Minister. Yeah, I reckon so. Uh, Bill Waterhouse, uh, the, the former big bookmaker, said... Uh, it's the uh, uh, the only place where all men are equal, on the turf and under it. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> very true. And yeah. it is, it's got that friendly nature about it. It doesn't matter whether you've got millions of dollars to no. your name or whether no. you are, you know, a, a bloke who works 60 hours a week in a blue-collar job. Everyone on a race course intermingles. I think Jack Ingham, the former Chicken King, uh, epitomised that. He was... Uh, like they sold the chicken business for about a billion and the money was uh, never really a problem for Jack. He was born uh, into a, a pretty wealthy family. But he'd knock around and try and get a tip off uh, uh, Billy the Butcher at the races if he could. It was uh, everyone mixed together. Now, I haven't seen you for a little while. I've got to say, you're looking really well. You're got feeling fit? I'm like Gunsind. I've gone grey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, there's a couple of us like that in this yeah. room then. Are there certain pictures that are indelible in your mind from all the racing that you've seen over the years? Yeah, I think so. Uh, uh, the most famous one was Greg Hall waving his whip yeah. <laughs> on Doremus when he was uh, beaten by Might and Power in the 1997 Melbourne Cup. And Jimmy Cassidy's famous quote, he said, I've never ever seen a black that excited to run second. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think Jimmy thought he was beaten too. <laughs> what a great cup that was. Those. Yeah, it was. Two yeah. great horses, two great yeah, jockeys. Yeah. And yeah. Kerry Packer unleashing on the winner. About uh, nine to two to five to two. Well, you should know. Because yeah. you did a little bit of uh, uh, Mr. Packer's uh, punting over there. I did a little, you? yes. What was the biggest bet you ever put on? Was it seven figures? Did it ever get to that? No, not. No, the biggest bet I ever put on for Kerry Packer was 250000 uh on a horse called Bletchencore at Randwick. He won by about an eyelash. I think they called for two photos as they did in those days. Uh, I wasn't sure if he'd won or not. And I rang him after the race and I said, gee, that was close, boss. He said, that's a very good horse. He said, that second horse 
will never ever beat him again. He said he won't see which way he goes next time. Well, I don't think Bletchin called one another race, and the second horse was called Red Anchor. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so Kerry was very lucky to collect. How did it come to pass, Kenny, that you were doing Mr. Packer's punting for him? Uh, he rung me one day at Rose Hill, and he said, um, mate, will you do us a favour and go down and put a bet on for me? And I knew all the bookies. I could get credit and, and all. He said, I'm here sitting watching a kid's cricket match and it's very bloody boring. Or he might have even used stronger expletives. Mm-hmm. And he said, we go down and put 40000 on, let's call it Harry the Horse. And I did. And uh, I can't even remember whether it won or lost, but that started it. And, of course, come the famous story, one day he rang up and said to me, uh, uh, it was at Rose Hill again, he said, mate, go down and put 60000 on sunglasses. I said, I can't, boss. I said, Ian Chaplin, Mike Gibson are about to throw to me. I said, the cross is in less than 30 seconds. I said, if I go down, if, I, if I'm not here, they'll cross to an empty screen. And he said, son, who do you think owns the effing television station? <laughs> <laughs> so the bet was duly placed? The bet was placed and they crossed over. And, uh, of course, I wasn't there. And they said, oh, there seems to be a technical glitch at uh, Rose Hill. And the guy who was the floor manager, a chap called Mike Moore, who was a beautiful bloke, he was stationed at Rose Hill. He had three or four kids. Beautiful, beautiful man. I worked with him for years. And when I come back, he said, mate, he said, uh, I tried to cover for you. He said, I, I've tried to make up excuses. He said, mate, I can't tell outright lies. I've got a wife and four kids and a mortgage. I said, Mike, don't worry about it. It'll be all right. He said, I don't think it will be this time. <laughs> well, of course, when I appeared next week, he said, didn't someone say something to you? I said, no. <laughs> yeah, strange about that. Yeah. Uh, the phrase, Kenny, colourful Sydney racing identity has mm. been bandied around for a long time. I bet uh, even apart from some of the names you've just mm. mentioned there, you're probably associated with some very interesting characters over the years in Correct, your time. yeah. Melbourne people used to always think that Sydney was the hub of... Uh, whatever was uh, crooked in racing. They're probably partly right and partly wrong. But I think racing today, Peter, is is extremely honest. And it's been cleaned up because prize money's so big, you haven't got the punters, they can't get on at the racetrack like they once could. But even in those days, a lot of the people suspected a lot more was going on than really was going on. One last point before we take our first break and then we yeah. go back on your journey. Yeah. Do you support concepts like the Everest and the All-Star Mile, these big money races which have basically been made out of nothing? I've got an open mind. I'm all for trying something. And the Everest was Peter Volandis' baby, and he's, he virtually said, whether he admits it or not, blow Melbourne, we're going to have a go at here and make something big in the spring. We'd, we'd handed over the spring to Melbourne probably a little too easy, and then they were encroaching a little bit on the autumn. So... I think he said to himself, hey, we're going to have a go. And he introduced the Everest. Now, I'm not a huge fan of the Everest. I think it could be done a little better. But I take my hat off to him for having a go. And it certainly captured public's imagination. So, again, I'm wrong. He's right. Uh, The All-Star Mole in Melbourne, uh, which has obviously had teething troubles, but they'll sort that out, I think was Melbourne saying, hey, don't think you can walk over us. We'll come up with something ourselves. Now, whether it could be done better, I'm not sure. I've grown up on the Melbourne Cup, the Cox Plate, the Doncaster and the Golden Slipper. But, you know, when the Golden Slipper started, 
uh, if people had have adopted the attitude it was wrong, we'd have never had a golden slipper. Mm. And, and it's only uh, 63 years old or something. So uh, I think I've got to look at the Everest that way. They're having a go. They've made it Sydney's big spring race. All right. We're going to go from the present to the past on the other side of the break and find out where the Ken Callender journey began. And what a pleasure it is to have Ken as my guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. More with Kenny coming up after the break. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Hope you're enjoying the chat with Ken Callender, an icon of racing, an icon of uh, broadcasting, of racing and broadcasting of sport. And we'll talk more about the wide world of sports a little bit later on. Kenny, where did you grow up? I grew up in the uh, Sydney suburb of Padstow. Uh, my uh, dad worked in a bottle yard as uh, a labourer, come foreman, which was uh, nothing flash, but he was a terrific man. He left school in sixth class. And he uh, always wanted to make sure that I was educated. I've got an older sister, and my mother was a mad gambler. And her sister was a small-time SP bookie in Sydney uh, after the war and in the 1950s. So did you grow up loving racing, or did you grow up loving the punt? No, I, I grew up... My first love as a kid was football and cricket. I wanted to play for Western Suburbs in the black and white and... Uh, play for Australia in both. Yeah. <laughs> only one thing beat me, ability. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like me, only one thing beat me, a physical deformity. No, no guts. <laughs> but uh, my mother used to work for my auntie of uh, a Friday night and Saturday afternoon, and I'd often be down there uh, with her. And I, I was always a great reader of things like sporting life, sports novels and all that. And whereas... Uh, probably uh, an eight and nine-year-old, I'd read all the football and cricket stories. Through the interest in racing, of everyone talking racing at my auntie's uh, place, I, uh, I started to read all the racing stories. And then I got very keen and, and uh, carried away with the races. And from not... Uh, I'd probably been once or twice, you know, with my family. But I just... I loved the... Uh, the atmosphere of the races, and then I got really keen and carried away with it. And in my last couple of years at school, my ambition was set. I wanted to write for the newspapers, especially on racing. And I was lucky enough to get there. So you would have been a young fella about the time that Tullock came onto the scene and started dominating. I was Tullock and Todman. Yeah. I loved Todman. <laughs> but uh, I'd have been uh, 12 and 13 when they were racing, 12, 13. When I, the first Golden Slipper I saw was in 1962, which was birthday card. So I missed the first five. I've seen all the others. And uh, in the 63 Slipper, I was working at the, the newspaper... And I looked like having to miss it because I was working in the office of a Saturday and the race was postponed to the Wednesday because of wet track where Pago Pago uh, beat Rosie Sun. And I was able to get out the Rose Hill to watch it and I've been in the press box for every... Or either the press box or standing uh, uh, as a bookie standing on a bench looking at the race in every other year. Now, you talked about your wish to write about racing. Mm -hmm. That started from the job as a copy boy. Yes. Now, there would be people who would say, what the hell is a copy boy? What did you do in that job? Yeah, well, copy boy was virtually a messenger boy for the journalists. 
uh, you'd uh, take the the journalist to type the copy. You'd take it to a sub editor. The sub editor would uh, knock it into shape, put the size type on it. He'd hand it to the sporting editor or the editor for the OK, and then they'd yell out "Copy boy!" And you'd run over. They'd give you that copy, and you'd put it in one of those air chutes in a. Yeah a little cable and air chute, and it would go out to the printers. You do other jobs like going and buying a pack of cigarettes and the lunches and things, but I just loved the atmosphere. And I was lucky enough to, uh, from a copy boy, to get offered a job as a cadetship, uh, as a cadet journalist, and uh, it was a four-year cadetship with uh, News Limited. Rupert Murdoch had virtually just taken over the place, and uh, Tom Brassell, one of the racing riders, went on long service leave, and... The sporting editor, who was a punter, had seen me at the races on Wednesdays and Thursdays and whatever because I worked often the midnight to 7 a.m. shift. And uh, he came over to approach me and said, would I like to come over to the racing section while Tom was on long service leave? And I never went back. And the rest is history. The rest is history. Pun- I used to, the girl I used to sit next to, yeah. I used to sit next to two girls. Yeah. Uh, as a, when I, first job we had as a cadet was typing out the television programs. One of the girls was Ilsa Conrads, who was a great swimmer. Oh, the Olympian. Yeah, yeah, terrific girl, fabulous girl. And the other one was a girl called Enna Torv, who became Enna Murdoch. Right, oh. Yeah. I wondered why she got ahead so quickly. <laughs> even, <laughs> even then you were mixing in very high circles. <laughs> Two beautiful girls. Um, apart from Tommy Brassel, who were the influences on your career as a journalist, a racing journalist? Yeah, the first plate to uh, actually give me a, a bit of a kick when I was a copy boy and I think brought me to people's attention was a chap called Barry Parks, uh, who was the editor of The Sportsman. And then when I got onto the, to the, uh, to the Mirror, uh, Ozzie Imba was the main racing rider, a terrific bloke. He was very good to me. Uh, Jack Ward, Tommy Brassel... Uh, were the other racing riders, and a fellow called Joe Lyons. And uh, then a black bloke called Bert Lilly, who worked for the Herald, and uh, then later come over to the Mirror. He was a fabulous influence on me. He used to uh, virtually write a magazine called Turf Monthly under about five different bylines from front page to back, and he eventually started to hand me a lot of that work over, and it was all good training. Yeah. Obviously, you were a bit of a sponge at that time, Kenny, and you got all the information that you could. You do, in, yeah. in time to come, of course, you would be regarded in that light. Mm. What did you say when young fellas coming up through the ranks asked you for a bit of advice? Well, first of all, I feel very privileged when they do and very flattered. And I think exactly what you just said, that could be me. And I love young people asking me for some advice. And uh, uh, I promise you, I always try and help them. Always. Yeah. And, and I, I pride myself on that. That's patting myself on the back, but I do. I think that I should be trying to help them. And I think most young guys are responsive. So you get to see all of this wonderful racing as a journo, a print journo. Yeah. Where did the transition come? Oh, I want to ask you one thing. It's just popped into my head. When I go to the races and I ask about you and everyone says, oh, Deffy's over there. Yeah. Where did Deffy come from? Uh, I was born deaf in my right ear. Uh it can't be fixed, no cochlear implant or anything. There's no nerve there. Uh, my mother wasted money trying to get it fixed, and my wife in recent years has tried to cart me. God knows how many hearing aids I've, I've wasted money on. But nothing can be... Uh, it's totally deaf in my right ear. There's no sound, no nerve, no nothing. Uh, can't be amplified. Uh, fortunately, my left ear has been pretty good, although probably not quite as good as it was. And... Uh, 
kids were probably a little bit cruel, but even from a young age, everyone called me Deffy. Uh, never has never ever worried me. Mm. I don't. I probably don't like me own kids calling me Deffy. You oh, know, no. I'd rather than call me Dad. Yeah, that's being honest. Did it ever cause you any problems from a television point of view? And I'm going to get onto the transition from newspapers mm. to television in a moment. Yeah. But uh, television is not only a visual medium, but it's an audio medium as well. And you've got earpieces mm. and you've got to be able to hear people and there's other things going on. Did it ever cause you any concern? Uh, look, I'd always point out to people that I had the problem and that, you know, if I was going to have uh, cans on, on my ears to listen to things, that uh, I could only hear one thing at a time. I couldn't hear two. I don't honestly think there was ever any hiccups till when TVN first started. The first lot of equipment we had was pretty average. It finished up that state-of-the-art stuff. And when I heard recordings back of that, I was yelling and shouting because I couldn't hear myself. I couldn't hear what was coming into my ear. That's the only... And I thought, gee whiz, I'm going to have to either take it half off my ear or try to whisper or something I uh, I think I sounded bloody terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you a little bit of trivia about TVN. You were talking about it when yeah. it first started. You know who the first person to appear on TVN was? Uh, you. Yeah. Yeah. It was. At, at Warrnambool, wasn't it? It was at Warrnambool. Yeah. Well yeah. done. Yeah. Because what happened was the three-day carnival at Warrnambool, the contract changed over. I think the existing contract went on Briley Day on the Tuesday yeah, uh-huh. and then it changed over on, on the, the Wednesday. Wednesday. Yeah. And so they asked me to come down and do the Good Wednesday and the Grand Annual. Yeah. It's probably about the last time I was on. <laughs> I'll, I'll, put, I'll put that in my trivia quiz. Yeah. yeah, no one will get that. No. Now, now I tri- did. <laughs> you did. Yeah, but you, you uh, know, I, I, I'm sitting in front of you. You know the industry so well. Yeah. Uh, the transition, Kenny, from... Uh, the print journal, all of a sudden to wide world of sports and the role that so many people know about you. Where did that happen? Yeah, I I was in my late 20s and Jeff Prenter, who was a well-known rugby league writer in Sydney and was editor of the Rugby League Week after having worked at the Sydney Sun, he come to me one day or phoned me, I'm not sure, and he said, Deffy, I might have a job for you. He said, Channel 9 have got John Tapp playing the races of a Sunday and they need someone to sort of, for him to run off to comment on the horses. Now, they're going to trial about three blokes, and whoever goes off best is going to get the job. He said, I've recommended you to Ron Casey. That was the Sydney one yeah. Casey, who was uh, the producer and the mainstay of the show. So I went in there, uh, and I must have hit it off because I got a permanent job out of that, and... The rest is history. And when David Hill come to Channel 9 with all these different ideas, uh, it catapulted my role. I used to be on the Sydney footy show a bit and things like that. But uh, And also brought me uh, my own radio shows. I had a few radio shows which were really because I become known on the television. Was that at 2GB, that radio 2GB, show? yep. Yeah. And uh, I did work at 2KY for about five years in the 90s, but uh, my success on radio was at 2GB. Tell us about your relationship with Tappy. What a great man. What a brilliant broadcaster. And what a beautiful man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, look, John Tapp and I were really uh, made for each other because we had totally different interests off air. Like, at the end of the road, uh, if we'd gone away to Melbourne, to, we'd go and have a drink together. Uh, and we got on terrific. We never had a bad word. We'd, if he heard a good joke, he'd ring up and tell me. He, he rang me up about uh, three weeks ago. But... Where John loved uh, playing his guitar 
mucking around with his trotters. Mm. I was more into uh, having a drink and telling a few lies at the pub or, <laughs> or uh, perhaps having a game of golf. So we, we span off each other. Uh, I like John very much, uh, and I, I'm, I think he likes me. It became an iconic show um, with yourself and with Mike Gibson and Chappelle and, of course, Billy Birmingham yeah. saw that yeah. and produced all of those records. Yeah. They say that imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Did you take it that way? Oh, very much so. And, you know, uh, Billy Birmingham said that I was the easiest to take off with all the S's and finger thong of six and sweet and Sally and... He, uh, uh, once Billy Birmingham started, that's when the uh, Sydney football show on Channel 9 started to use me. They'd have me bringing a pizza into uh, some blonde with uh, big bucks and blonde, and I'd have to say things like, who ordered the uh, sagacious sweet... (laughs) 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 And all this, anyway. uh, They were the good days. And... uh, I enjoyed Billy Birmingham. Pete, I'll tell one quick story about yeah. him. Uh, Channel 9 changed sponsors on the wide world of sports in those days when uh, Ciappelli and Mike Gibson were the co-hosts and, and Mobile Oil became the sponsor. So uh, I forget who'd be the previous. So David Hill rang us up. He said, look, and this was the Billy Birmingham days. We've got Mobile on board. They're paying double the money of the previous sponsor. Now, we've invited all their executives, all the big petrol station owners from Sydney, having this big slap-dang dinner at Channel 9, and we're going to show off to them. We're going to... Uh, and uh, uh, satellite television had just started. We're gonna, we've got uh, John Newcomb waiting at Wimbledon. We're going to swing over to him. We're going to go over to uh, Murray Walker at Brands Hatch and all this sort of stuff. So they... Uh, Mike Gibson and Ian Chapler sitting at the desk, and we're all positioned in desks around the football commentators, me and all this. John Tapp was away, as it turned out, so I was there on my own. And uh, Mike Gibson said, and welcome aboard to the mobile wide world of sport. This year we're going to do Wimbledon where Borg takes on McEnroe. And to there to do it for the mobile wide world of sports will be... Uh, John Newcomb. So they switch over to Wimbledon. John Newcomb standing at the net with a uh, wide world of sports blazer on and uh, holding a tennis racket and, and so on, so on. They go through about four sports. And then he said, and one man who's particularly happy to have Mobile aboard is our racing man, Kenny Callender. And they swing over to me and I've got the script ready. But when I start to speak, I can tell it's not coming over, over the mics. The mic's not working. But behind the petition... Behind me is Billy Birmingham. And when they said, one man who's particularly to have mo- happy to have Mobile aboard is Kenny Callender. And this Billy Birmingham says, too bloody white I am. Thumb bastard said it was going to be Esso. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that's anyway, a great story. That's a bit long-winded. <laughs> isn't, isn't it lovely to look back at that era? People loved that era in television, and sports television in particular, and there was an equivalent in Melbourne with um, World of Sport. Yeah, it's They liked the rough-and-tumble yeah. nature, and they loved yeah. the mistakes and the things that yeah. would go on because it showed that everybody was yeah. human on the show. I used to like uh, Ron Casey and Lou Richards. And yeah. That. Yeah. yeah, I actually I got to host World of Sport a couple of times yeah. when Sandy Roberts was off doing yeah. something else, and yeah. 
I just sat there on the desk looking at these yeah. icons. I used having a good time, <laughs> and we did. We had a yeah. great time for three yeah, hours, yeah. and it was yeah. rough as guts. And yeah. normally, after we'd been on air for twenty minutes, we were twenty-five minutes late. I don't know how we ever achieved that, <laughs> yeah. but it was a different era, wasn't yeah. it? That, this, that sort of thing wouldn't happen in television these days because no, everything's it, got to be so polished. Everything's far more scripted. Yeah, uh, and I think cable television's become the big rival, and things live shows like that. Uh, I don't know if they work now in the sophisticated age where uh, YouTube and uh, Netflix and everything's on people's uh, iPads. It's, uh, it's a different world. We could do two shows, but unfortunately we're only going to do one. <laughs> and we've got a sponsor, and Tobin Brothers are our great sponsor, and they enable us to catch up with them. Um, Let's hear, let's hear from them. Great people like Kenny Callender. So, yeah, don't forget. He, yeah. he doesn't forget. We'll take a break and we'll be back with Ken Callender on the other side of the break for our next segment on This Is Your Sporting Life. Hope you can join us there. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. I hope you're enjoying the chat with Kenny Callender as much as I am. Great to have your company on This Is Your Sporting Life. So where did it all come to an end television-wise, or did it ever come to an end for you? Uh, yes, it did. Uh, when Channel 9 lost the rights to um, uh, the races... I think it was in 2001 or two. Uh, Kerry Packard made a very big play to get the Melbourne Cup. And uh, he'd gone to the uh, VRC with the idea of having the breakfast show there in the morning, uh, Flemington all day, and then a current affair there after the races. And we're all primed. He'd offered more money, but there was some sort of personality clash or whatever, and he missed out. And... uh, Oh, I think he was sick of it then. Channel 9 gave up the racing rights they had. Kerry Packer brought me a beautiful watch, which has got 30 years to Ken Cullen on it, and I still wear it. Uh, So I was at Channel 9 for 30 years, and uh, that was it. And then when TVN started, Gary Burns, who'd been head of sport at Channel 9, rang me up and he said, "Um, I want to resurrect you. We've got this new channel starting TVN. Uh, we need someone like you to get us going. He said, you want to bring your son Richard along, who'd been doing some introductions at the races of a Saturday and see how he goes. And, of course, Richard was better than me at it. And, uh, I, I, and I did that for, I think, about four years. And I said I'd retire from television uh, at 60, and I think I went to 62. My pet hate... Uh, is some people, particularly in sport, that go a bit too long. Uh, I I don't know whether it's their ego or they can't let go. And it's like a sportsman playing one season too long. You know, I really think comes a time, hey, you should give someone else a go because you're not quite as good as you you used to be, even though you might think you are. I think I still sound all right, but I'm gone. You know, time's passed you by. Go out on top, as Bill Collins said when he got Uh, to the end of his career. John Tapp, what a perfect example. John Tapp said, I don't reckon I'm as quiet. He said, I'm finishing at the end of the year. I was one of the first to know, and he did. Greg Miles in more recent times, probably an example of that. And and I go back, Kenny, to Bert Bryant. And after the illness that he had... 
everybody talks about that cut where he missed Medici coming yeah. around the turn, yeah. but nobody talks about the, the other cuts course. that he called uh, brilliantly. Yeah, and a few guys in Sydney went too long. And, uh, you know, it's the same. If you're writing for newspapers, I think comes a time you've got to hand, hand the pen over. In that glorious time of uh, having the pen and having the microphone, mm. you've been asked this question a million times, but what's the best race that you ever saw? I'll ask you about horses in a minute, mm. but the, what's the race that when you close your eyes, you think of that? I can still see Might and Power winning that Melbourne Cup I spoke of earlier. Mm. <laughs> uh, and I can still see Luskin Star winning the 1977 Golden Slipper and how easily he won it. Uh, a lot to do with that. His trainer was a personal friend of mine, a good bloke. Uh, I'd follow the horse from the fir- first go, and I thought he was uh, probably better than he was even. But uh, So I was wrapped to see him prove us all right and demolish everyone. Uh, I think of the Bone Crusher Waverley Star Melbourne Cup. Cox Plate. Uh, the Cox Plate, yeah. I'm sorry. I apologise. Uh, I think of um, uh, Rain Lover's first Melbourne Cup when he... I can't believe how easily he won. Uh, been, been some great highlights and some great times. And then the year after, Rain Lover came out and he had that battle with Olsop. Olsop. And he, I think he had two stone more than him. And yeah, exactly. Oh, Jimmy Johnson lifted him over the line. Yeah, and I was on Olsop. Ephraise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's another reason to remember yeah, it. Yeah. Best horse, Kenny. Can you single one out or yeah, are most, they different look, categories? I wrote a book in uh, 2007... Uh, it was published in 2007, and uh, thank you to all those people who bought it because it was successful. Uh, 24,000 copies, which is all right in Australia. And uh, I said the best horse I'd seen was Vane. Uh, I correct that now. The best horse I've ever seen is Winx. Mm. Mm. Yeah, Winx the best horse I've seen. She's won the big handicaps, switched to, right, to wait for age, and won all, taking on everything. I People say, oh, what's she beaten? She's beaten every horse that wants to race against her. She's running in group one, wait for age races are open to everyone. And uh, uh, they can't beat her. She's won four Cox Plates. I loved Kingston Town. When he won three Cox Plates, he said, well, no other horse will do that. Yeah. She's won four. Yeah. And, and, you know, uh, a mate of mine uh, rang me up in uh, Melbourne uh, last October. He said, where are you going to be on Cox Plate Day? I said, oh, I don't know if I'll come down. He said, Polonia won't come down. He said, you'll regret it. So I booked the plane ticket and I went down to Mooney Valley. Do you reckon you sh- she should go for a fifth? Or have they made the right call? They've made the right call. They've made the right call. You can't go on forever. It's what we just sang about journalists. Yeah. Uh, I feel... I feel that she was uh, right at a peak 12 months back. She looks fabulous now. But you can't go on forever. And uh, I think having her last run this year uh, in the autumn is the right way to go. I really think deep down the trainer might have been uh, happy to pull the plug after the four Cox plates. I got no inside mail. He just got that impression. And uh, it would have been a good time to go, but she's uh, come back and she's going to make it four out of four and uh, retire on a high note. Well, Peter Moody often says that it took its toll on him with black caviar Mm. and... Chris Waller's got a big stable and he's got a lot of other horses to look after. And the pressure of doing that must just add every time he goes to the races. Chris Waller has got an absolutely amazing temperament for a racehorse trainer. He's very diligent. He's very keen on detail. But obviously, 
he'll be a relieved man once he has a last race. And, uh, I'm, I'm sure of that. Speaking of the last race, we talked about your um, career in television coming to an end and you decided to bring it to an end. What about the incident with the Daily Telegraph going back a few years ago where you stood on your principles? Just for those who don't know the story, what happened? I'd been in to see the editor once or twice, twice about uh, cutting out times when I'd criticised John Massara and Peter Valandis. Now, I'm I quite like both gentlemen. It's not personal. I promise you it's not personal. And I know the Telegraph had a commercial arrangement with Racing New South Wales. So obviously they're going to try and look after them. I'm not naive. But I got certain assurances and then a column I wrote appeared on the internet till midnight and then all of a sudden it was changed and it never it appeared cut down in the paper. So I wrote the editor a nice email and I just said, you're in charge of the paper, you're entitled to do whatever you like, which he is, uh, but I don't really want to be a part of it anymore. I don't want to be a part of it anymore, and I'd like to resign. He accepted my resignation. I wonder whether I acted too hastily. Uh, plenty of regrets of not writing it, and I, I don't like to finish things on a bad note, but that's, uh, that's the way it was. I left on what I thought was a matter of principle. I'm very happy with that decision, my kids and grandkids can look at it and say, hey, Pa was a pretty good bloke. He, wasn't, uh, he did what he thought was right. I hold no animosity to anyone over it, and other people have, got, have, have done what they might think was right. But I, I did what I thought was right. And my, philosophy, my uh, thinking was, I can't be expected to criticise Hugh Bowman and Gay Waterhouse in my column and not criticise other people. It's not fair to Bowman and Waterhouse or whoever if some people have got a... A free free ride. We're just about out of time. We'll come back with our final break. Um, hopefully we can let it go for about 15 or 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think the producers will be very happy with me if I do, but Kenny Callender is my guest, and we'll be back to uh, wrap things up with Kenny on the other side of the break on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Our final segment with Ken Callender on This Is Your Sporting Life. Ken, we've been having a bit of fun. Exactly, uh, Pete. talked about the races, but life's been tough for you in recent times. Yeah, uh, in uh, October 2017, uh, Matthew, one of my sons, died. Worst time of my life. I miss him, but uh, a lot of other people have had a lot of tragedy too and we've got to get on with life. And, and I think uh, it was harder on my wife. It was hard on his wife, who all of a sudden she's been with the black 25 years and he's not there when she wakes up in the morning. He's four kids, terribly hard on them. Terribly, terribly hard on them. But we've got to move on. I don't want to go into territory where you don't want to go, but what did you say to him in his last few days what did you tell him about your relationship and life in general uh i said to him matt i couldn't have had a better son and that's the truth let's leave it at that because it's a, a hard time for you how are you hitting the white ball too often <laughs> <laughs> a bit of army golf yeah uh, left right left right 
Richard, one of my other sons, says, Dad, you have more hits than the Beatles. <laughs> I think that anyone who heard this program today will remember seeing you on television, remember reading your articles, but they get an insight into Ken Callender, the man, and that's the great thing about this format, that um, we learn a bit about you and your principles. And I said to you in our last commercial break, that's one of the reasons that you're so highly regarded and so respected in the industry. Not only that stand that you took at the Daily Telegraph, but always the fact that you've always been one to come up, say good day, have a smile on your face, and it was just a good time being at the races. Thanks, Peter. Kenny, it's been great to have you on the program. Thank you. Ken Callender joining us on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Don't forget you can catch a podcast of this, and we'll return next week at the same time with another great of Australian sport. Hope you can join us then. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semi finals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply.